But if you don't regulate this, how will you ever know what is real? How will you ever know what is fake? And when it comes to IP rights and ownership, you own your picture. You should own your picture, which is why it's a massive issue now, right now in the US. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Stina Mangold-Tornmark. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Openly and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Stina. Hi and thank you, Josef. It's nice to meet you. Likewise. First thing first, I want to understand who is Stina. Please help me get the context of how you look at yourself. Okay, so I'm Danish. I actually think that is something I'm proud of, but also something that is a bit like defining who I am. I am the mother of two, something that defines me as well. I am energetic. I am passionate. I am a person that is, I think, happy for the most times. I like to smile. And then I am driven and an entrepreneur. And on top of that, a lawyer. And uh, before we're talking about... You're an entrepreneur, your company, the elevator pitch, etc. I, I, I just need to follow on. Driven. Have you always been driven? Yes. Since You've you been were... driven in many ways, right? But I have always been a person that has a lot of ideas, love new ideas, love doing new things. And... I'm not afraid to, to go out and try to pursue them. It's not always that I have a massive big plan that I've like laid out, know exactly what I'm going to do, but I love just getting things done. Why? And um, it gives me motive, like it motivates me, but I also feel that I develop myself. And I think feeling that I'm developing myself is my personal biggest driver. I just love continuously feeling that I'm pushing my own boundaries and pushing myself to learn new things. And in all honesty, I'm a person who's really bad at just doing the same thing over and over again. So I think maybe that has something to do with it. I understand. And um, I think that's a part of being an entrepreneur, basically. And going back to your entrepreneurship, your company, Openly. Uh, what does your company do? Please do the elevator pitch. So Openly is a B2B SaaS privacy tech platform. So that's a long name, sorry. But what it is that we're doing is that I think today everybody knows that GDPR and privacy and everything is super complex. And just getting your company to become compliant 
is for many a massive challenge. But if you then think about the fact that today companies are built and operated on other people's platforms, think about the fact that when you have a company, you're using tools in marketing, in HR, in finance, in product. It could be Salesforce, Sendesk, Google, you name it. So not only do you need to be on top of your own DDPR, but you need to be on top of every single company's software that you're using, where you're sharing data. On average, companies that have around 500 employees use 217 tools. That means that you can multiply your own GDPR efforts with 217 because you need to be on top of all those companies' GDPR compliance and their security. How are you ever going to be managing that? That's an almost impossible task, but that's what we automate. That's what we do for companies. And on top of that, we help them scale their GDPR efforts and use all that data that we gather from all these suppliers and vendors around the world and thereby scale their privacy and GDPR. I think you, you have done you have done this pitch uh, several times because I, th- this was good. Okay, Stina, uh, so time to move on. It's time for five quick ones. And now you need to be quick. I will throw up a word and you need to say the first word or sentence that pops up in your head connected to that word. Are you ready? I'm ready. Privacy. A fundamental human right. Software as a service. Openly. GDPR. Something I'm really good at. Startup life. That's the first word I think of. Second, hard work pays off. More hard work, frustrations, pays off. And the last one, Q4 2023. Busy. Okay. Thank you for the input, and I uh, I want to stay with um, startup life. <laughs> and yes, then is it is it fun to be a startup CEO and founder? Sometimes, not always. In all honesty, I think sometimes, and I think all the founders listening will know what I mean. It is lonely. And what do I mean by that? Well, when you're a founder, you're sitting with the responsibilities for your company. It's your responsibility to to hit the targets. It's your responsibility that you get product market fit and that you have a go-to-market strategy and that it works. And sometimes that's hard and it's hard work and it can be frustrating. But you don't have anybody to complain to. Like you can't start complaining to your employees. They will look at you and say, oh, is something wrong? I don't know what to do. And, and you shouldn't be complaining to them. You can't go and complain to your board because they're trusting you to fix it. So sometimes it can be lonely. But what it can also be is a journey that will give you more tools in your toolkit or in your toolbox that you like cannot even imagine like i thought i knew a lot and i had a lot of skills under kind of like my belt or tools under my belt but becoming a founder and a ceo have learned 
like have given me so much and I've learned so much, but I've also learned a lot about myself. Yeah. And when you're saying loneliness, you haven't been completely lonely, right? Because you have a co-founder, right? Correct. So when you have a co-founder, you have somebody at your side, but being the CEO is still your role. Yeah. And there's only one CEO. Um, but when you mentioned my, my co-founder son, he's amazing. I will not be able to imagine not having him on my side, uh, at my side. I would never have started openly if it hadn't been for CERN. And now we come in. Uh, the angle of why I mentioned your co-founder is because I want to talk about the big why. Uh, why did you and your co-founder started openly? Yeah. So now we're going to take a back just maybe a few years so my journey started as a lawyer and the reason why i'm starting here because that is actually tied to openly so i was a lawyer at one of the biggest law firms in denmark for six years and i had clients like google and netflix and hbo so privacy and tech is something i have been doing for ever almost right and in 2013 i represented a big vc firm out of the uk that wanted to invest in a Danish startup called Trustpilot. So I did the due diligence, I sat in the data room, I went through all the documents, and afterwards I was seconded for a few months because Trustpilot had nobody in legal and they needed somebody just to help them get started. And I thought, that'll be great, but then I'm definitely heading back to the law firm. But I found out that I loved to be part of a startup. I love to be able to make a difference and to be part of a company and grow with that company. And I also found out that I learned so much during those three months that I was seconded. And at the end, um, they asked if I wanted to stay on and I couldn't see anything else, but yes, I would love to. And I joined and I was a trust pilot for six years. I was the first one in legal and I built out the legal team, the compliance team, um, and also the privacy team. And I got the responsibility for the platform. So, so detecting fake reviews, the people that were handling all the complaints. And as part of that, I met my co-founder, Saran, who was a product manager. He was employee number six, the first PM that Trustpilot hired. And in 2018, GDPR came around. And one day I was sitting and complaining a little. And Saran asked me, um, so, Stina, if, if we're complaining and, and you're complaining, you have a big team at 50 people, a little below 50 people reporting to me. And so, so if you're complaining, you have big budgets, lots of people helping you out. What are all the other companies doing to become compliant? And I was kind of like, I don't know. And could we maybe just focus on getting Trustpilot compliant? That would be nice because that's in okay, itself. Now I think I lost you. Can you hear me? Now, now it's back. It was something. Okay. Maybe, maybe the audio file was saved local at your end, but now I lost, I think it was something maybe with my or your internet, but you said uh, the last thing I heard, you were, uh, you were complaining uh, your co-founder said, if you are complaining, you have a huge budget. Mm -hmm. Then what are all the other companies doing? Because they need to be as compliant. And I didn't know. And honestly, at that point, could we maybe just focus on making sure that Trustpilot had their stuff in order? And he came back a few weeks later and said, Stina, nobody's helping them and they need to be as compliant we should be doing that and that's where we started talking about the idea 
and started just playing around with what could be openly. And I resigned and we started the company. And now we are here a few years later. And now I want to talk about mistakes because uh, from my point of view, uh, you only learn from mistakes. <laughs> the things you think, you know, that, that, that just keep on uh, doing what you do. But when it comes to mistake, what are the worst mistakes you have ever made connected to business? So if I look at it from an openly perspective, I think it was underestimating how long it actually takes to get product market fit. And how long did you, f- how, how long did you thought it should take and how long have it actually taken? Well, I thought in all honesty that if you built a product that fit like my own experience, and it's not that we did that from the get-go, it took a bit of time for us to figure out what we were supposed to build. But then we spent such a long time, like I felt it was a long time. I think we spent a year just trying to, to get it to market and it didn't really work out. Like we got some traction, but we could just see this is never going to fly. It's going to take way too long. So what we did then is kind of like figure out, okay, so with this product, there isn't a good market fit because we could see that the customers weren't willing really to pay very much for it. So we had to kind of like rethink that then what product would get us there. And then we did some testing and found like a way for us to to build a product that still solved the needs that I had when I was a trust pilot. And also at the same time, have some kind of growth model built into it. And then we then launched it in November 2021. And I joined openly in 19. So you could say that it actually took us a little over two years, two and a half. And with that, now, now since then, you, you, you see, you feel that you have product market fit after that. I would say you're not in doubt when you got product market fit. When customers are writing to you, this is amazing. What I bought was so much better than I had anticipated. Like, you know that you have product market fit, but you also know it when you're able to start scaling it. Then I think another kind of learning, maybe not a mistake, but is how important it is to figure out what your go-to market is. Like we struggled in the beginning with figuring out how to sell it, like outbound, inbound, product-led growth and so forth. And you need to be able to find a model that fits your buying persona. If your buying persona is super conservative, hate cold emails, hate cold calling, you might not want to do an outbound sales team as your way to go to market. But it takes a bit of time for you to get those learnings, right? Because like, how would you just know that they really do not respond well to like emails and calling and so forth? 
so so that's something we also spent some time on. And it's super frustrating sometimes. Like, couldn't it just be easy? Like, you know, you've seen all these movies where they just build a product and like two minutes later, they're kind of like entrepreneurs and rock stars and like their product is just used by all companies around the world. But, but in all honesty, it takes time and patience. Yeah. And... If we before we move on to an extended question, if you talk about uh, a little bit about your now successful go-to-market strategy, what 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 is it? What 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 is it that your persona would like to get buy actually? So what we found out is that you need to build rapport with your audience. You need to build connections, and they need to trust you. Like think of it. Like we're selling compliance privacy software. <laughs> like they have to trust you to buy it. So what we have is actually a community. And that is for us the best way to build trust, to build brand, and to get the connections with the audience that are sitting with the need. And when you say community, is it like LinkedIn newsletter? Where is the community taking place? Well, the community takes place many, like in many locations, so to speak. It's everything from meetups to oh, okay. emails to events to mentee mentor programs, and it's so many things. It is a community, and I think what yeah. is really important to think of when we're thinking about a community is that. You don't build a community for you. And when I mean you, you you as a, a company. Yeah. You build your community for the people. And if you don't get that right, your community will never be a community. It will be a one-way communication from you sending out emails and trying to get people to join a <laughs> webinar. That's not a community. That's yeah. a lead list. Yeah, and um, if uh, now we, I'm actually gonna stop uh, talk for a short while uh, or stop asking you a question because it's time for an external question. I have a, a segment where I lend uh, the voice to people in the SaaS community, and today we're actually joined by somebody called Daniel Ölander at Ludo, and this is his question. Hello, Stina. What has been your biggest learning in finding your product market fit? And what would you do differently today if you had to redo it? So my biggest learning is that you really need to, to kind of get your buying persona before you start building the product. It sounds maybe just <laughs> super plain, but what we actually ended up doing and the way we got to product market fit was that we took five customers that we already had on the previous product we built that we could see didn't scale and didn't really fly. And then we said to them, okay, we want to build this product, but we will, in the beginning, just simply handhold it, handhold you. It will be manual. It will not be very techy and it will definitely not be SaaS, <laughs> but we will build it together. So we get your needs the way you work. And then we started doing this handheld with them these five customers, and that's how we learned 
what the real needs were and how it should be built and what how it shouldn't be built. And I think that was actually even more important. So, so that's how we did it. Thank you, Daniel, for a great questions that, uh, thank you, Daniel, for a great question that led to a very interesting answer, Stine. If I then uh, want to talk about now some outreach, I know it doesn't work for your customers, <laughs> you have already said that, but it's not the, this question. This question is about <laughs> your preferred way of being contacted in a modern buyer's journey for B2B. Basically, I, I'm building a sales tool with VAM. So this is really interesting data points for me to, to, to collect from all the smart guests. Uh, what, what is the best way to do outreach to you, Stine? So I am like my own buyer, right? I am a lawyer by background. I sat as a senior <laughs> vice president uh, for legal and compliance and trust pilot. I hate cold calls. That is the worst thing ever. <laughs> I really try to be nice simply because I know how hard it can be for the other person at the other end, but I never bite. In all honesty, I don't. I'm, now I'm telling you all the things I don't like. Please don't send pictures of kittens and emails as a way to try to get my attention. It's not serious. It's not a way to, to, to show me that you have a cool product that can solve my issues. And if I'm you not take a away cat that, person. That, <laughs> if you look at I like perfect outreach from somebody to you uh, in the last uh, weeks or month. How did they approach you? How did they get uh, your attention? It's when they offer something that isn't about asking for things. So, for example, one way it could do could be around, hey, Stina, I've noticed that Openly is doing A, B, and C. I have, and like, don't do it on an email. Maybe I think actually LinkedIn works better. Uh, but I have this cool report that is, I think, super interesting. Like, then you're giving something. And don't then ask and write two minutes later, hey, so do you want to jump on a demo? What I think works really nicely is, is if you offer something or if you build a connection. And from there on, you build your sales. That okay, so so what I'm hearing is you said LinkedIn is better than email. Start with LinkedIn, connect, uh, don't pitch pitch right away. Give a report, give value. Like, hey, I've I've done some homework. Check this out. Then back off. And then if you're like, oh, thank you, let it be some time. Maybe give some value more. And then you can ask for, hey, what what about? Yeah, yeah. And always remember, it's it's not about you. It's about what you can do for the customer's pain, my yeah. pain. Good. Yeah, I, I think we put period here. I, I, I really like this data point. Uh, I really like this input. And uh, it's time for a topic of your choice. This means that I will now, uh, for a few minutes, sip it. And uh, the floor is yours. The only framework here is that you need to you need to be nerdy and feel passion for this topic <laughs> okay so i'm nerdy about a topic that most of you out there will probably think oh my god did she just say gdpr <laughs> yes she did <laughs> did she then just say privacy yes she did and did she then combine it with ai 
Yes, she did. So my topics, AI, GDPR, and privacy. That is something I think most people should care about and much more than what they do today. Think about your life. Today, Joseph, you live your life as much in my ears as you do in my LinkedIn feed, on Instagram, on emails. Have your life is online. And if you don't own the right to your data, the right to make decisions, you don't have control. And that control is due to GDPR. You can tell me if I was Instagram, delete my pictures because you don't like to have them there anymore. But if you hadn't gotten GDPR, you wouldn't have had that right to tell them, delete my picture. They could have decided. And that's what, until recently, U.S. companies were able to do because they were in charge. That was their It is the U.S. religion. Data is owned by the companies. In China, it's owned by the government. In Europe, it's owned by the people, by you and me. So GDPR isn't a bad thing. It's a real fundamental right that make your life better. It might make your life a little harder as a business owner. But if you think about it, it's actually really important. And then take AI and put it on top. AI is built on information. It's built on data. It's built on your data. So when you use AI, you need to think about how you do it in the context of protecting the data, but also understanding the input, but more importantly also the output that you get when you're sitting and having fun with ChatGPT. That data is built on a lot of different parameters, on big algorithms. But how did they decide that Ronaldo, which was what my kids started doing when they started in like used ChatGPT for the first time, writing, where does Ronaldo play? First output, he plays for Manchester United. I'm not a big football fan, but my boys are, and they were kind of like, Mom, why, why does ChatGPT say that Ronaldo plays at Manchester United? He doesn't. Well, okay, they tried again, wrong answer they wrote. And next was some kind of like Italian football club. That was not where he was playing. He was playing somewhere in Saudi Arabia, as, as far as I remember. But that never came as an answer. And do you know what? ChatGPT never came to the conclusion and saying, I don't know the answer. Because it's a tool. And it's built to give answers. It's built to always being able to answer what you ask it to give an output for. And that's why it's so important to think about your privacy, your data, and how you're using things. And what's your thought? I love that you brought this up. Otherwise, I have would, I would have asked you regarding the future of privacy with data and AI now. Well, like I, I, I think I own myself, my face, my voice. But if, yeah, there's crazy stuff going on with some different AIs now. And that that could be really like deep fake and uh, extremely 
uh, bad, frankly, for for many people. W- what's your take on this, like protecting what's mine with my identity and my privacy with AI? Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that we need legislation. I know that some people say we have too much legislation already, and, and that might be the case. But if you don't regulate this, how will you ever know what is real? How will you ever know what is fake? And when it comes to IP rights and ownership, you own your picture. You should own your picture, which is why it's a massive issue now, right now in the U.S. uh, film industry, because they're starting to generate movies on the basis of like less known actors using their pictures and building AI actors in the upcoming movies. Do you know why? They don't need to pay royalty. They don't need to pay salary. They could just take that image of that person, tweak it slightly, and then use AI to generate that actor. So what I hear you say that you are a strong believer that to not create a world where everything is fake or we will feel it's fake, we need to quite hardly regulate the rights with yeah, pictures, uh, voice, uh, what's, what's basically uh, myself digitally. Yes. Good. We need to move on, Stine, because you are a busy person and we don't have too much time here, even though I, I think really that's a super interesting topic. And um, yeah, I, I'm see, we are actually entering the roundup now. We don't have so many questions left. Second last question. If you would give yourself, when you were a younger CEO, think... Four years back, early beginning of openly, uh, the top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know. What would you tell yourself? You need to be more patient than you ever imagined. <laughs> I think that's the first. Um, and then it is do not underestimate sales. Do not underestimate the importance of really, truly knowing your buying persona. And uh, yeah, we're going to wrap this up now with me wanting to know one of your favorite life mottos or like words in life. What can you share here? Oh, I actually think that is really difficult because I think if you have a motto, it sometimes defines and dictates more and you have to go with the flow. And I think if I were to say a motto, go with the flow, but don't just go because you think it's the easiest. You go because you believe that you're doing the right thing. Yeah, I like that. Then we have a motto. Uh, I, I know this is a quite uh, fluffy question, but I, 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 I want it to be open so I can get something really short and something. Yeah, it's so so interesting to to like tap into that uh, part of your brain, like thinking on the more philosophical side. And with this said, 
I'm now shifting the focus to you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Stine in B2B SaaSios if you got any sort of value. Spread it forward. Sharing is caring. And thing number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Stine, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the community and me to keep on learning. Thank you for having me.